right, who's excited to be in church this morning? Come on. Come on, I've been saying it for months. Those masks, they can cover you, but they can't silence you. Who's excited to be in church this morning? Come on. All right. We're glad to be together this morning. Let me just underscore one of the announcements. Young adults, we'd love to have you come out this Friday night, 7.30. We've got something new that we're launching. We've relaunched it because of the whole COVID season, and I believe it's better. I believe we're bringing something better for young adults. So come this Friday night, 7.30. There'll be dinner afterwards, but we, I would love to see you there. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we're going to do a message today, um, and I'm going to start with something. It's a little bit of an obscure message. It's a little bit different this morning. It, it, it takes a look at something different in the Bible. And I want to start by reading something. I want to read this, this, this portion uh, with you guys about what we're going to study this morning. It says, Jesus was the king of everyone, but not everyone believed it. There were, however, in a small town two miles outside of Jerusalem, those who did. They knew that Jesus was king of the poor. He was king of the wealthy and the powerful. He was king of the leper and king of the politician. He was king of the sex worker and he was king of the Pharisee. He was king of the criminal, he was king of the tax collector and the Roman soldier. They knew he was king of the blind and the king of the widow. He was king of the slave and king of the free. He was king of the Jew and he was king of the Gentile. King of the violent and king of the newborn child. He was born the king of those who believe and the king of those who do not. King of the righteous and king of the unrighteous. King of the shepherd and king of all the other kings. His throne is in heaven and the last enemy he defeated was death. He is more than a savior, more than a friend, more than a teacher, and more than the Lamb of God. When the world is being turned upside down and the enemy is inflicting pain, we need him to be king. We need him to be strong, decisive, and filled with justice. In Jerusalem, they did not believe. However, just down the road, there were those who did. They knew that just as no one is outside of his ultimate authority, no one is excluded from his unending grace. They lived in a town called Bethany. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you're king. You were king 2,000 years ago and you're king today. You're king no matter what the world looks like, no matter what the treatment is, no matter what the conditions are, no matter what society says. God, no matter who's in office, you are king. And we look to you as supreme, as ultimate authority. Jesus, would you speak to us this morning in your name? Amen. Amen. So I want to I highlight this particular town called Bethany. The name of the message this morning is the King of Bethany. There's a stark difference between Jerusalem and just two miles down the road, this town called Bethany, where Jesus was, was recognized. He was, he was revered. He was seen in his rightful place. He was seen for who he was. When I was younger, I, um, I moved around a lot as a child. I moved from different state to different house. And, and you learn how to acclimate. And you learn how to adapt. You learn how to walk into new environments and, 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 and to be who you need to be in order to survive whatever environment that you're in. But I'll tell you, there's nothing like when you walk into certain environments or certain communities or certain groups of people that accept you for who you are. 
that they recognize you for who you are. That was, that was Bethany for Jesus. He was revered and he was seen for who he truthfully was. For who he truthfully was. A little bit more about this town. It was two miles from Jerusalem. It was the home of Mary and Martha. It, it was the place where Lazarus was raised from the dead. It was near the Mount of Olives, the place where Jesus was taken up and went to heaven. It was a place where he cursed a fig tree and spent the last few days of his life. Whenever Jesus and Bethany are mentioned, you see him treating it as a special place. Why did Jesus love this small town? Why was he so comfortable there? Why did he choose for this to be home base during the week of his crucifixion? It was the place where he made his triumphal entry as king. It was like when a president or a, or, or a nominee says that they're going to run for office. They go to a place that's really special to them to declare what they're about to do. That was Bethany for Jesus. He rode in on a donkey, triumphal entry, to show that he was king. There's something special about this place. And I believe it was because Bethany was a place that already knew him as king. And they treated them that way. They already believed Jesus is at home with people that know him. One of the things that I learned from my, my upbringing about moving around and shifting atmospheres and communities and all that sort of stuff is that you learn that people make a place. I'll be honest with you guys. If, if it were up to me, like, and this is, this is a thing between me and the Lord, like, Denver would not be my first choice. I'd be on a beach somewhere. I don't like wearing, like, warm clothes and extra layers and socks and hoodies. I'd rather be in shorts and a T-shirt all day long. But God called me here, and you know what? God has brought me people, and people are more important than my comfort on a beach somewhere. I'd rather be here with people that make a place for me. People make a place. I want to take a couple lessons from Bethany. We're going to jump around from a couple of scriptures to understand why Jesus loved this place so much, but what that means for you and I. That we would be a place where Jesus would be comfortable. That we would be a place where he's viewed and seen and recognized and honored as king. And I'm not just talking about this sanctuary, this, this brick and mortar this place that we congregate on 200 South University, I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about right here. That you would be a place, that I would be a place, that we would all be a place where Jesus is put in the rightful place. First thing is lessons from Bethany. Bethany was a place for the broken. For the broken. The word Bethany, it means the house of misery or the house of poor. You know, one of the f my favorite things about Jesus, he has tons of nicknames. If you study through the Bible, he's got tons of different nicknames, like Lord of Lord, King of King, Emmanuel, Prince of Peace. He's got all these names. Like if he was, an, he'd have like 50 Instagram accounts. He'd have so many handles because he's got so many ways he's recognized. But you know, one of my favorite, and I'm giving you guys some of my just favorite things today, but one of my favorite things or labels or the way that Jesus is personified is that he's called the man of sorrows. 
the, the, the man of sorrows. Now, he was, he was filled with joy, and joy emanated out from him. You know how I know that? It's because kids were attracted to him. Kids don't like people who, who don't have joy. Kids have a, a, a meter that can recognize when something's good or not. They just do. But kids flock to him. But it says that he was a man of sorrow. You know what that tells me? Is that, that he carries what he cares for. He carries it. He doesn't dismiss it. He doesn't walk around and ignore it, nor belittle it, nor over-exaggerate it. He, he carries what he cares for. You and I, we have sorrow in this life. We have struggle. We have, we have ups and downs and victories and, and defeats. We have those things. And Jesus cares for those things. He carries those things. Do you know that like a place like Bethany that's recognized as the house of misery or the house of poor, one of the reasons Jesus was so influential there or so highly esteemed is because the people of that place, they knew what they had. They, they knew the Savior before him. They, they said, oh my gosh, this is him. Do you know that your, your, your brokenness will recognize your Savior? Your, your, your pain will recognize your prince. Pain's a calling card for Jesus. He's drawn to it. He moves there. He sets up camp in those spaces. He builds the house in our misery. He puts brick and mortar around our poor places, our desolate places. He doesn't leave us in those places. He doesn't forsake you in those places. He's drawn to those places. He's at his best at those places. I got to give a husband brag real quick. I don't have, I don't have a lot of those. <laughs> I got a few. I'm at my best when Malia's, when she's facing an illness. When she's sick and she's laid up on the couch and she's running a fever or, and she's, she, she's having a rough time, I, I'm at my best in those places. For whatever reason, I'm wired a certain way. Whenever she's at a place like that, I'm at my best. I wish I was like that more often, like serving her hand and foot. I should probably get better at that. But when she's sick, I'm at my best. You know, Jesus is at his best when you're sick. Jesus is at his best in your pain. Jesus is at his best in your brokenness. Jesus is at his best in those places. Bethany was a place where people with infectious disease were taken and left there. Why would a king set up camp there? Because he was a king like the world had never seen before. It's like Pastor Doug preached a couple weeks ago. He wasn't the king that we wanted. He was the king that we needed. He was the king that we needed. Jesus is at home with the broken. A true king, a true king takes care of the broken people. A true king takes care of them. Any Disney fans in here? Any like crazy Disney fans? Because there's like a Disney cult. I know that side of it. I'm not talking, there's a, there's a healing ministry afterwards for that. It's called Disney Deliverance. Well, I got some Disney fans in the, in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I want to say a statement because I've got the microphone so there's no debate on this one. Lion King's the best Disney movie of all time, right? 
there's no question. There's no question. Lion King is the best Disney movie of all time. Like, a, and I'll give you the second one. It's like a far second. It's probably Aladdin. And I'm not, you can tweet me later. But <laughs> Lion King, there's, there's, a, there's an exchange there when Mufasa and Simba are, are, are understanding what Simba's life is going to eventually look like. Mufasa takes Simba up on Pride Rock and he's showing him everything. And he says, look, Simba, everything that the light touches is our kingdom. Simba goes, you rule all of that? I wish I had like the cool James Earl Jones like voice for Mufasa. But I still have puberty sometimes. Um, Mufasa says, yes, but a king's time as ruler rises and falls like the sun. One day, Simba, the sun will set on my time here and will rise with you as the new king. Simba goes, all of this will belong to me? Mufasa says, it belongs to no one, but it will be yours to protect, a great responsibility. And then Mufasa drops a bar right here. While others search for what they can take, a true king searches for what he can give. Jesus didn't come to be served. He wasn't a king that came to use his power and authority for his own platform. He came to use all of his power and authority and all of heaven's backing to serve you and I in our pain, to serve us in our brokenness. And Bethany recognized that. That's why Jesus could set up his shop in that place because he knew these people saw him for what he was. And they received him and they received what he brought to them. I hope this morning that that's resonating inside of you and I, that we would receive what Jesus is coming for, that we wouldn't try and perform or overdo or try and fake this thing, because I'm going to speak to that in just a minute, but we would allow our broken places to be the passport for Jesus into our life. Jesus is the king that came to give. Jesus is the king of the broken. Any of us can be broken. Brokenness is ultimately a position of our heart. I love something that Pastor Donna recently said is that breakthrough starts with breaking. And then you got to go through some stuff. But breakthrough starts with breaking. There's no way around it. You can keep circling around the mount of whatever situation or ordeal or insecurity or broken place that you have avoided or never stepped into, you can keep going around it and life will keep surfacing that in some way, shape, or form. But when you recognize it and say, Jesus, I invite you into this, that's the beginning. Jesus feels at home where people are broken. Our brokenness attracts him to us. But I want to talk about a few other things that might attract Jesus to our place, or what Bethany attracted Jesus to. The next one is that Bethany was a place of open hearts. Oh, I love this one. Luke chapter 10, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. One of the things about that scripture is that Martha is the one who invites him in. I've, you, whenever you hear this story preached, you always hear it preached about Mary. Because Martha's busy like getting the kitchen ready and Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And, 
And Martha comes to Jesus and says, why are you like focused on her? I'm over here doing stuff and she's just sitting here being lazy, not doing anything. She's just sitting at your feet. Why are, why are you giving her your attention and not I? And the way you often hear this preached is Jesus redirected Martha's efforts towards what Mary's efforts looks like. He says, Mary's gotten it right. She's, she's sitting at my feet. She's not off trying to just like clean the house and get all the stuff ready. That's the way you often hear this preached. But you know what I'm studying this week? What really stood out to me? Martha's the one that invited him. Martha brought him into the house. Martha was the one that saw something on Jesus in Bethany and said, I've got to get that person to my place. Something was in Martha to recognize that. She welcomed into his home. She invited him. You see, Martha invited him. Mary was positioned correctly, but Martha invited him. Let me say it like this. You might be inviting Jesus into your life, and you may not have everything correct, but he will sort it out. Martha was the one that beckoned him into the place. She had it wrong. She wasn't doing things right. She was over here getting things busy and in order in the house. And Mary's the one sitting in his feet. And Jesus says, Mary, or excuse me, Martha, be like your sister. But guess what? The way that Martha learned that is she brought him into the house. Some of your lessons, you feel like you've got to have them figured out before you invite Jesus in. But when you invite Jesus Jesus into your house, he'll refocus you. He'll repurpose you. He'll set you straight. He'll sort it out. He'll put the right things inside of you that you didn't know. So many of us think to bring Jesus into our house, we got to get it figured out first. But Martha was invited there. She was bringing him. I feel like that's a word for someone in this place that I don't know who I'm speaking to, but some of you, even sitting in church, you feel like you're not supposed to be here because what your day looked like yesterday doesn't reflect what you desire here today. But Jesus will sort it out. Jesus will sort it out. I like to say it like this. It doesn't matter what you came in with. It matters what you came in to. You know another thing about Martha? She's trying to, like, project, like, this situation for Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm trying to get my house in order, and I'm trying to get all this stuff straight so that my Savior, my God, can, can see stuff right. And yet she's, you know, back here in the background doing all this stuff. You think Jesus doesn't notice your activity? You think Jesus doesn't see all this, like, awkward hand stuff? (laughs) Jesus sees it all. He sees it. And he will show up in any house. Doesn't matter the condition of the house. He, he, He will show up if it's a mansion or at the mission. He will show up if your house is in order or if it's a total wreck. He will show up if you have neglected it because of the season or the weight on your shoulder. Now, I'm getting a little bit personal. Because maybe this season or your year has caused your life to get chaotic or disorganized. And you feel like your house isn't in order. And Jesus isn't going to show up because your house isn't in order. Let me say it again. Jesus will show up in any house. He's looking for an invitation. 
He's looking for an invitation. He won't force himself in. He's looking for you to ask. Because our condition, the condition of our house, the condition of our life, the condition of our marriage, the condition of our kids, the, the condition of our thoughts and mindsets and motivations and temptations and decisions and errors and mistakes, the, 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 the condition of that, our conditions are not his conditions. Like the way you are right now is not the way he's looking to say whether or not he's going to step in or not. That's moot. He's motivated to step in by open hearts, by invitation. Open hearts attract Jesus. He's compelled to those places. Let me turn this real quick. But there's some places, if he's compelled to, there's some places where he's repelled as well. There's some areas where he's not looking to step in. See, Bethany had the opposite spirit of the temple. The temple was in Jerusalem. These are the religious leaders. These were the folks that figured that they had everything figured out. They couldn't see the Messiah because they didn't need the Messiah. Might be a little toe stepping this morning. Just, it's all in grace. But Jerusalem was the religious center. Jesus is looking for authentic relationship with his people. Jesus had relationship with people in Bethany. The temple, though, was filled with hypocrites and liars. Jesus called them a brood of vipers. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds harsh. <laughs> and I heard it in a Kanye song recently. <laughs> One of the things that I had a hard time understanding for a long time, but I've started to see this now, is how could people who profess to be Christians miss it so badly? And I'm not meaning like make mistakes and keep coming back on the same issue, because there's grace upon grace upon grace. Jesus, let me just say it like this. I I feel this is kind of prophetic for just a moment. There's grace upon grace, and you may not be seeing your development. You may not be seeing your growth, but God is upgrading you. It's like sitting in the mirror and not recognizing your change every day because you see the same face. But if someone who hadn't seen you for a year or two years, they would notice the difference. Some of you all need to know there's a difference. That you may not feel it, you may not sense it, you may not even believe it. But being in God's presence is changing you. You're upgrading. You're getting better. You're getting stronger. Your faith is building. But there's, there's people who can miss it so bad. And what I mean by that is that they can justify using Jesus and the gospel to judge other people. They can use the gospel and, and, and their knowledge for their own self-righteousness. 
And for a long time, I just didn't understand it. Y'all got to understand, when I came to Jesus, I was a hot mess. Hot mess. I didn't know how to put, like, like one foot in front of the other. I was so broken that when he found me, it was, it was, it was so life-giving. It was life-preserving. It was everything. So for, for me to f- ever forget that, I, that made such a mark on me. That's why the Bible says we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That your story will always, check this out, will always recharge you. Your testimony will always refuel you. Because you know better than anyone on this planet where you came from. You know. You know the depths. You know the hurt. You know the sin. You know the failure. You know the thoughts. You know it. Again, we're not perfect. We're on a journey. But you know where you started. But I, I, I was perplexed for so long. How, how do people miss this? There's a story about a guy who's a religious leader. Named Nicodemus. He was a Jewish religious leader who was also a Pharisee. And he starts to hear about Jesus. And yet he's one of these guys that would be, that would be seen as religious hierarchy. Like, he would have been the one that I was talking about a moment ago that, that would have thought, I don't need the Savior. Wait, we've, we've got all the law figured out. We've got the Torah. We've got, we, we, we got this. It says that there was this man named Nicodemus. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. First off, people who live self-righteously, they move in the dark. They move in the dark. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But they like to hide. They like to hide. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. It's evidence. It's evidence that God is with you. Scrolling down a little bit, John 3, 20. Because this is when Jesus is, is downloading to Nicodemus. He's saying, homie, this is how you do it. He's like, you have gotten your eyes and your focus on all the stuff that does not matter. You have prioritized whatever you're learning so that you can elevate yourself over other people. You have used your, 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 your spirituality to condemn other people because you think you know it all. Jesus says, all who do, do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it. For fear their sins will be exposed. People who live self-righteously, a place where Jesus, he has some, some words to say about, but people who live in that place, they're worried that their sins will be exposed. Jesus will never enter into a place where someone is not willing to expose. Check this out. But those who do what is right come to the light. So others can see that they are doing what God wants. If you want to stay in a place where you're, where you're not allowing God to expose some things or bring light to certain places, he won't, he won't visit there. 
There's an old, uh, there's an old commercial. I think it was Motel 6. We'll leave the light on for you. You want Jesus to show up at your place? Leave the light on for him. He won't show up where, there's, where, no one's, where, where, where people are scared about their sins being exposed because that's where grace enters in. And you know what happens with this? You know what happens with self-righteous people who, 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 who proclaim they know everything, they know the gospel, they know the word, and they're using it to cast judgment on other people, but they don't let themselves be exposed? You know what happens? They try and expose other people's sin. They point out your sin and my sin and her sin and their sin and that group's sin and this group's sin and that group's sin. And they sit on Facebook as keyboard ninjas and they blast you for your sin and they judge you for all your stuff. Those people who aren't willing to let themselves be exposed, they think their job is to expose other people. Jesus wants nothing to do with that. Jesus wants nothing to do with that behavior. That's nonsense to him. He won't enter into that place. Jesus is a place of light. He's a place of healing. And healing comes by the way of honesty. There's no other way. Jesus is a place of healing. But there's some people that are unable to live in that land... And yet that land, that place, is the place of life. Bethany was the place where death was put on notice. This is where it starts to get rowdy. This is where it starts to get exciting. Jesus was the place where death was put on notice. John 11. Then Jesus, this is his exchange with Lazarus. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. When they had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man, he came out. This story right here is at the end of Jesus' ministry. Like he's getting ready to go to Calvary and die on the cross. This is like what he's doing the few days before he exchanges earth for heaven. Jesus was spending these last few days with a friend who was dead and then brought back to life demonstrating for us that we have the same assignment. What if we use these later days to spend our time in places where we could see people come from death to life. What, come on, give it up. Someone's ready for it. Someone's ready. What if we spent more of our time in these latter days saying, I'm not just focused on what my needs are, my desires, but I'm going to go find a Lazarus who's hidden behind a stone somewhere I'm going to call that person out to life. I'm going to call that person. You know what, guys? We have realized in this last year like never before in 2020 and into 2021, it's crazy out there. That's the understatement of the year. I heard on dictionary.com that the word of 2020, they do a word every year, the word of 2020 was unprecedented. (laughs) We've all heard that an unprecedented amount of times. 
But it's crazy out there. People need new life. Jesus spent his last days in places where he could display his power in bringing life where there was death. Jesus could sense heaven on the horizon. He was a few days away and he was found bringing Lazarus back to life. Jesus is in the business of giving dead things life. Now and when we meet him in heaven. So that's a missional statement for us and how we posture ourselves in this world. You know what, guys? That world out there that we have all been so inundated with, with all the craziness in this last year. That world out there that's louder and crazier and more chaotic and more dysfunctional than ever before, you know what that tells me? Is that world needs a savior more than ever before. That that world needs a healing like never before. That world needs new life like never before. This city needs Jesus like never before. Like never before. Those dead things, this is back to personal. Jesus recognizes that there's a, there's a corpse behind this stone. You know, Jesus recognizes what's behind your wall. He recognizes what's tucked away behind what everyone else around Lazarus called impossibility. No one can raise someone from death to life. That's fictional stuff. We serve a God who doesn't just see through the stone. You know what it says later on when Jesus is ascended and he comes back to earth? Is that he walks through stone. He walks through those walls. He walks through those places. Some of you guys need to know that people around you or even yourself, when you look in the mirror, all you see is dead things. All you see is immovable objects. And Jesus, check this out, he sees behind the stone and he sees your potential. He sees what's, what's been placed in you that was God-given. He sees the miracle. He sees the healing. He sees the new life. He sees the gifting. He sees all the stuff that's hidden behind the stone. And he's the one, when you hear his voice, oh, check this out. When you hear his voice, when he calls you out, all the other people say, you're about to do something that's impossible. You're about to do something that makes no sense. You're about to do something that's going to make you look foolish. And Jesus keeps calling, says, roll away the stone. I'm bringing my son out. I'm bringing my daughter out. Lazarus, come out from behind there. That stone's not going to define you. That wall, that facade, that immovable object, don't give it the power. Don't give it the power. Because the one who's calling you, it's his power. So we've uncovered that Bethany was a place of brokenness. We've uncovered that Bethany was a place of open hearts. We've uncovered that Bethany is a spiritually life-giving place, and we found that it's a place where new life can happen. Can I get some, some keys? Thank you.
There's one more thing I want to highlight this morning. Bethany was a place of genuine worship. There was a, another experience in Bethany where a disheveled woman came into a room where Jesus was hanging out with posse and friends and people and religious leaders. Like the room was stacked with who's who and, and people and Jesus' people. Like this room was filled with people. And there's this disheveled woman that walks in and she's got this jar of oil, this jar of perfume. And even she starts to, to pour it out on Jesus' feet. Even Jesus' disciples are angry. They miss it. And Jesus responded, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Because they're saying like this perfume that she just dumped out onto your feet and wasted, it's worth so much. And we could like do so much good with what she just wasted upon your feet. We could serve the poor. We could help so many people. And Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you. And you can help them at any moment. But she recognizes that she will not always have me in this place. Some of you might be worried about what your worship looks like. Some of you might be worried that it's going to cost you something or look strange or that you're not Christian enough to do that. What I think this woman displays that's so beautiful is that Bethany represents, and she's displaying this, is a place where people are willing to praise him no matter what it looks like, no matter what it costs, no matter what it means, no matter what reputation might be on the line. I'm going to approach this a couple different ways here this morning, but I want you to stand. And I, the reason I want you to stand is going to make room at the end for a time of response. And I'm going to preach the best I know how. But what matters to me more is that the Spirit of God starts to touch your heart. Because we've referenced this so many times, and I just referenced it a moment ago. This, this last year and this last season, has done so many things to all of us. It's been real. It's been hard. It's been real hard. But as even as we were in worship this morning, I felt like God dropped something into my spirit that's not in my notes. And it comes to this, this area. In the area of your praise and your worship. Because no one else can do that for you. No one else can, can praise and worship God 
for you. No one. As awesome as our band is, they can't do it for you. But to this year, what I felt like that God dropped in my spirit just a few minutes ago is that so many of our dynamics and environments and atmospheres of life have, have been disrupted. And it would be really easy for the altar of your heart, the place where you give God reverence and praise and worship, it would be really easy for that place to get reconditioned as well. You know, even wearing a mask here this morning, no one sees whether you're doing it or not because guess what? The performance thing gets stripped because sometimes we can hear you and watch you go on display, but with that mask, we don't know if you're you're doing it or not. Only you do. But the other side is that that, that, that that covering, real quickly, that could allow you to slip into a place of apathy where you're like, I don't need this anymore. It's so much more effort to do this. It's so much more extra to go, to go and to do this. Or even online. Like for the few months that some of you were online, for those of you who are still joining online, you know, you're like, I'm not in the room with the band. I'm not with these guys. I haven't, I, I, don't, I don't have, I'm, I'm, in my, I'm in my home in my slippers and my robe and I'm singing and I hear my off-tune nonsense. I, that, that's me. I, they don't put me up. They don't, they don't let me speak. They don't let me sing. There's a reason for that, guys. <laughs> but the Bible says make a joyful noise. doesn't say make a joyful song because some of us can't hold a tune. It says make a joyful noise. But this last year, in all of its complexities, really easily and really quickly could our praise and worship, which is deeper than just song, it's a heart position, quickly could that been erased. And you know what? I'm telling you, right now, this morning, is a time to put a flag on the ground. You say, you know what? I'm not losing that anymore. I'm not leaving. I'm not going into my next season without that. I'm bringing my praise and my worship forward with me. I'm taking it with me. Because you know what? There are some things in this life with Jesus that praise and worship will open the doors for and only those things. There are certain doors on your life that only praise and worship can unlock. The Bible calls it a sacrifice of praise. The woman right here, she displayed it. She had this bottle of perfume that cost her a year wages and she's sitting there pouring her sacrifice of praise on the feet of Jesus. You know why? Because she recognizes her savior. She recognizes what's in front of her. Let me say it like this. Some of you have given your places in the, your praise in the wrong place. Real quick, let me just say something real quick on this. You've given your efforts, your best efforts in places, but you won't give it to your Savior. The Broncos might get your best praise. Your kid's soccer team might get your best praise. That sales presentation you gotta work on might get your best effort. Your Instagram account with all your filters and the way you look and your image, that might get your best because you wanna portray your best. Someone this morning give Jesus their best. I'm telling you, the praise and the worship that's inside of you will unlock doors that only can be opened in your place of praise. Jesus is at home in our worship. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. He inhabits the praise 
Some of you during this last season, you might have had bad days, bad moments, and you're asking God, where are you? Why won't you come into this space? He inhabits praise. It's a hack. You know why? Because Jesus in his sovereignty, he knows that when you start to put your eyes on him, you don't keep your eyes on your circumstances. And some of y'all have spent all of your time just on your circumstances, just trying to draw him down. And Jesus said, would you just look up and I'll I'll rearrange the whole thing. I'll rearrange the whole thing. He shows up in those broken alabaster moments. It's broken praise. It's not perfect praise. It's broken praise. It's praise, and then we're going to go in right after this. It's praise that sings through the noise. It's praise that declares through the disruption. It's praise that gives honor through all the craziness. As you're praising, your mind might be thinking about all the stuff you messed up or all the stuff that's going wrong or all the stuff that hasn't worked or all the stuff that you felt like you deserved and didn't come your way. All the stuff that's hurting you. It's a broken praise. It's a praise that sings through the noise. It's a praise that lets God have what God deserves despite anything. And that's a place where God shows up. I want hands lifted this morning. We're going to enter in. We're going to enter in. The altar time this morning is a place of praise. It's a place of praise. Jesus, I thank you that you came to a place called Bethany. And you displayed to all of humanity what you're looking for. Brokenness, openness, a life-giving spirit. God, I pray this morning that you would move upon your people. That you would move upon the praises of your people. That this morning, I know that for so many people, it's going to be a sacrifice. Because it would make no logical sense to praise in the midst of chaos or terror or frustration or insecurity. But that's what God needs. Some of y'all think that you can't come to church and praise because you don't think that you're Christian enough. This is where it starts, is that you praise through your brokenness. That you praise through any season. Worship team, let's start to go into this song. But I want hands lifted. I want to just, I want your praise to erupt in this place. We're gonna, we're gonna wrap up in just a moment.